Hello, hello, and welcome back to Two Chicks in a Horror Flick. My name is Felicia Connor. And I'm Tawny Ray. And tonight, for our third Father's Day month movie, we will be doing the 1980 film The Shining. Yes. I know. This is... (laughs) Like, I really should have listened to Tawny and we shouldn't have done this. <laughs> or or maybe, or we should have done it and I should have really, really planned. And this was a beast. It was a what beast, but do? we did it. Maybe we'll need to do a part two someday when we run out of other movies. <laughs> that's what I was thinking is, yeah, like, because on some point, at some point, you just have to call it. You have to be like, that's enough of the research that I can do in this moment. Like, it just is what it is. Like, I feel you could write a thesis on this movie. Oh, a million theses. Yeah. They made a whole fucking second documentary about, like, what people's theories on this movie are. So there's just no end to it. But I do want to celebrate real quick because we haven't done it so far. And I think we're up to, like, I don't know, episode 56 or something at this point. But we never celebrated, I don't think, on one of our episodes that we surpassed 50 episodes. Oh, that's right. We did. Yes, and that is like a major milestone. I think maybe we did talk about this actually, and I don't remember. I don't think so. I think it's like 90% of podcasts don't get past the 50th episode. And so it's oh, just like... Oh, that's great. We're here to stay is what you're saying. Right. Yeah, we're here for the long haul, obviously. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be no. old and wrinkled and podcasting. Yes. <laughs> so fucking cheers to that. Cheers to that. <laughs> Ching! What are you drinking? What are you cheering? I mean, we know you're cheering, but what are you cheering with? Let me just tell you. Let me wrap two things into one. I finally watched the documentary Neat that you have been telling me to watch forever in a day. Uh, And it was so great. Cried like four fucking times. I don't know what is... I'm, I'm so emotional lately. Anyway, cried a lot. Loved it. And it made me want to drink whiskey again. And in the documentary, they also talk about, they mostly talk about drinking it neat, obviously, from the name. But they talk about also, they go and talk to bartenders and stuff who like mix it and how it got like revitalized through like the mixologist movement that happened, I think in like the 80s or maybe 90s. Yeah. Or yeah, something, maybe even later. And it was like, okay, now bourbon is cool again. And it made me want, a mixed drink. So I looked up a recipe because the thing is like, I like whiskey, but it really to me feels at least straight, like a very cold weather drink. And now that it's really hot, I just don't Mm. want to drink it straight anymore. So I was like, okay, I'm going to look up a cocktail recipe. I just need it to be really simple. So this is called the summer breeze, I guess. I just don't know if that's a tech, uh, like a super official term, but I found a recipe for it. So it's just, um, bourbon, ginger ale, uh, orange liqueur and like an orange slice so i put the orange slice and i just muddled it which i think just means like mashing the fuck out of it i don't know yeah (laughs) it does it does (laughs) (laughs) i have a lot of pulp in here i wasn't expecting that but whatever you know what's great tastes good very happy with the results very summery so that's what i got going on what are you drinking i really love that you know my first introduction to whiskey was Jameson and ginger ale. And okay. I was at a company party. And this girl was like, her name was Kat, if she's listening. Oh, that and, sounds right. Like, I don't know yeah. what about that. It just makes sense. <laughs> yes. And she goes, oh, you got to try this. And I'm like, whiskey? No. She's like, Jameson and ginger ale. And that, I loved it. So I am also drinking whiskey. 
neat. And it is um, new and is now made its spot into my number one favorite. It is um, new to me anyways. It's called Hancock President's Reserve. Ooh, and okay. I, maybe I'll, when we take a break to fill, I'll grab the bottle. It um, is so good. It has that little bit of a burn. It also has a little bit of sweetness. And it's just a real easy drink with nothing in it. It's so, so good. Hancock's President's Reserve. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> God, whiskey. I'm glad to be back good. on the train. Well, bourbon to be specific, but yeah. I'm happy yeah, I had a it. dirty martini um, right before, like right after work. Um, my coworkers got me some Tito's and I had some amazing, uh, blue cheese stuffed olives. And so I made a little, but I, you know, I finding that I really am prefer drinking whiskey. Um, so I just have the one and it kind of like quenches my, um, was a craving for like the salt and the, and mm, all of that. Yeah. And then, uh, move on to whiskey. I just thought Hell you all yeah. should know that, you know, that routine. I just, I do want to <laughs> say a shout out to fucking Tito's. Oh, shout out to Tito's. Fucking, that's what we drink. That's what Jade's whole family drinks. That's like, that's the family drink over here is Tito's. Because also it's gluten-free. It's gluten-free vodka. Yeah. So good. It's so good. I have like, my favorite is kettle. And I have a big bottle of kettle, but I was, I tried the Tito's. I'm like, you know what? I really like this. I like the way yeah. it tastes in this martini. Huh. It's very good and gluten-free. So and gluten gotta love free. that. You've got to love that. We don't need no more stomach issues when we Fuck don't need them, gluten. right? Get it Fuck out that of here. Gluten. No. <sighs> we <laughs> have a lot of catching up to do, Felicia and yes. I. So. We took a week off, yeah. which is a week I could have been doing some mad amounts of the shining uh, research, but <laughs> I did travel within there, though. I took a little yeah. vacation with the hubby, so... You were very busy. Oh, Tani wanted me to share this with all of you. Something really, really super sweet. So um, my team today, and so any any of them who are listening, gave me the most amazing and sweetest send-off that I've ever had in my whole corporate career. And it was so incredibly loving. Um, they, Someone painted me a picture. And they gave <laughs> me, yeah, so painted nice. me a picture. They all gave me like succulents and plants and candy and vodka and wine and balloons. It was this, this whole thing. It was just absolutely so sweet. And then they brought in some like appetizer type food and it was just so sweet. Wrote a card, all of that thing. They even made me a Spotify playlist. <laughs> so first of all, the playlist is called By Felicia. <laughs> okay, that's great. And... So they she had a they had a mix of it like the graduation song and you've look you've made it and because because I left that just to bring you all in I um I left that job because I'm focusing on the podcast full time and my coaching business full time and so everyone was really excited for me and then um let's see the good old days and tonight tonight and seven years good time I miss you and then it goes down into like stay with me take a bow time to say goodbye <laughs> that is so let good. her go <laughs> In the arms, in the arms of an angel. <laughs> I love that. It's so awesome. Yeah, that was, was the like, best. Please, can you say that on our episode? Because that's like the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. In the best way, obviously. Yeah. Like, that is so nice. 
I don't know yeah. that I could ever work for another team again because if I left, I would be like, whoa, like, where's my fucking <laughs> What's playlist? <up? laughs> yeah. You obviously didn't like me that much. <laughs> I guess I wasn't appreciated here. Yeah. It was so great. It was a really awesome day. So I appreciate it. And so if any of uh, them are listening, I truly appreciate it. And you. And uh, oh, someone um, teased me a little bit because, you know, uh, when you leave, I mean, I've actually never done this. It was the first time where I send the the goodbye to the company, a little goodbye oh, okay. letter. And yeah. if you want to keep in touch with me, here's my thing. And I put my Instagram too. I don't know. I thought that was, that's where I am at. You know, I put my email, my Instagram, yeah. my LinkedIn, all of that. And somebody's like, your Instagram. I'm like, well, yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, I <don't> know. <laughs> I'm there more than LinkedIn. So I don't know. I'm there more than my email actually. So right. If you anyway. want to contact me, you're going to do it through Instagram. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I just made sure. Okay, we're here to talk about The Shining. So it's a 1980s psychological horror. The book, the novel, was written by Stephen King. I love him. Uh, the director of this movie was Stanley Kubrick. And you know who he is. If you don't, some of the ones that... I really liked, I wrote down A Clockwork Orange, Eyes Wide Shut, Full Metal Jacket, Lolita are just some, just to name a few. The budget was $19 million and the box office was $47 million. Rotten Tomatoes gave it an 84% and IMDb gave it an 8.4 out of 10. Those are like exactly the same numbers. <laughs> I just know. Anyway, the cast. Jack Nicholson is Jack Torrance. Shelley Duvall as Wendy Torrance, Danny Lloyd as Little Danny, and Scatman Crothers as Halloran. I don't know if I said that right. Dick Halloran, right? Oh, they only had Halloran, but you're right, it's Dick Halloran. Yeah, Dick Halloran. Yeah. You're totally right. All right. So now we enter in with two, <laughs> two minutes with Tawny. Reducing the two-hour movie to two minutes. <laughs> Over two-hour movie to two minutes. <laughs> I would say even 20 seconds. I went real short Sweet. on this one. I'm glad because we had to watch the movie and it was long enough. Yes, yes. <laughs> and fucking everybody knows what the plot of this movie is. Even if you haven't seen the movie, you know what the fuck happened. So, like, I just... I definitely lose a lot of the nuance and the detail Good. in here, but you know the story. Jack Torrance takes a job at the Overlook Hotel during the winter months in Colorado. This means he and his family will be isolated for months, which gives Jack a chance to finish a book, but shit goes south since the hotel is supernatural. Haunted? Possessed? Not sure what word to use here. But anyway, Jack loses it and starts drinking with and talking to other people in the hotel who really aren't there. Danny Torrance gets taken over by Tony, the little boy who lives in his mouth, and Wendy defends herself against Jack, who is now out to kill the both of them, just like the last caretaker. Turns out, Danny and Wendy are smarter and more resourceful than previously thought, and Jack ends up freezing to death in the hedge maze while they escape the frozen tundra and the overlook. And here is where I meant to also put something about him being in the image at the end of the movie. <laughs> because then they show him, and I'm just winging it at this point, so sorry, y'all. But then they show a, a close-up, or they zoom in on a picture on the wall from the 20s, 1921. And Jack Nicholson's character, Jack Torrance, is like front and center in 1920. 
The end. That's the end of the movie. So <laughs> there you go. There's like 40 seconds with Tawny. That's awesome. Okay, Tawny, what did you think about this movie? <sighs> I have dreaded this day since <laughs> we started this podcast. The moment we started this podcast, I thought, I, I dread the day that we have to talk about The Shining. So I've put it off for as long as humanly possible. And here we are in the dead heat of summer talking about The Shining, which just feels like the most inappropriate time. <laughs> but also the most appropriate time because we're doing this for Father's Day month-ish, right? Yeah, and actually um, it was filmed not during winter. All that snow was fake and stuff and they were hot. So oh, kind of good to know. Fits, yeah. Okay, maybe it is relevant, yeah. Um, but it feels very frosty, right? So it's like such a weird juxtaposition. Um, but ultimately, I kind of fucking hate this movie. <laughs> and I, I'm sorry to anyone who loves it. This is nothing, uh, like no representation on you. I'm going to talk shit about this movie. There are some things that I liked and that I, and that I recognize are really, really good. But overall... I kind of fucking hate it. I don't know. I'm sorry. We're going to lose like half of our listeners. No, no. Because you know what? You know who else Tell me. Hate, hated this movie? Who? Stephen King. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I remember reading something about yeah. that because he didn't. Yes. Not yeah. like it at all. It's his least least favorite of all the adaptations. Oh, adaptations? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. But we'll get into that later. Okay. All right. How, I mean, like, I feel like I should just leave it at that for yeah. me. So we'll get in there. <laughs> because I also feel like maybe we shouldn't talk about the things that I didn't like until, like, way later. Like, I don't want to bog us down with that shit. I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know what's worse. To do it on the front end and get it over with or do it on the back end. We yeah. can figure that out. But how did you feel about the movie overall? So I felt, I didn't hate it. Um... There's definitely pieces of it I appreciated, uh, and and you know we'll talk about that that I kind of liked and appreciated, and other like I really feel like it needed more editing. It was so fucking long, yeah, it was so long, and that conversation with uh, the bartender, and I was like, okay, I'm done. And then when they later in the movie he heard the music again, I'm like, please don't talk to the bartender again. He went right <laughs> up to that fucking yeah. bartender and talked to him. So there's like these, you know. It wasn't building dread in me, you know, the long sequences. It was kind of like, okay, come on. Um, but then there was pieces I appreciated. So I would say I didn't hate it. I don't want to see it again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. That's how I feel too. I'm like, <laughs> I would never go back and watch this movie ever unless I was forced to. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's a family. Even if it was like family all around the TV, the holidays, everyone wants to watch The Shining, I'd probably go to bed with a headache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be like hanging out in the kitchen. I'd be like, anybody else want to hang out with me and eat snacks? Because yes. like, I don't want to see, I've seen it twice now and I know. Yes. Okay. Yeah, a lot yeah. of it I didn't remember. I remembered pieces like the snow in the hedge mage or, you know, he hedge maze or different pieces, but I didn't remember it as a whole. Yeah. And so, Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm, there, there's where we're at. I'm a little relieved because I was like, 
part of me felt like, oh, Felicia's going to back, go back and watch this and be like, oh, some of this is, yeah, like slow or like not great. You know, like when you're looking at it through a now lens, I feel like there's, you have to be like, yeah, some of this isn't great. <laughs> like, I don't know. And if you're not, that's totally fine. I get it. And I get the nostalgia factor, especially if you watched this when you were younger or even an adult, but it scared the shit out of you. That is lovely. I'm so glad and I'm jealous of that experience. I wish I could have that experience watching this movie. I just don't. And I want to say too, I didn't mention this earlier because I felt like it didn't fit and I don't want to get into it because I don't want to ruin them. But I watched not one movie for this like recording. I watched fucking three. Okay. I watched <laughs> One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest because we had talked about oh, that last yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, should I watch that movie to Felicia? I said, should I watch that movie to prep myself for serious Jack Nicholson? And she was like, yeah, maybe. So I did. I watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is also two and a half hours, by the way. Oh, shit. Sorry, Tony. I watched three two and a half hour movies because I watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I watched The Shining. And then I watched Dr. Sleep, which I had seen already. I went to go see Dr. Sleep in the theater, I believe. And then I just rewatched it for this, you know, to kind of have the context for this conversation. But I don't want to get into that. I don't want to spoil anything in Dark yeah. Sleep. But um, yeah, so that's kind of mostly where my watch time went. And it just, didn't help. No, it didn't. And then I tried to watch Room 237, which is the documentary about the conspiracy theories, I guess, of oh, this yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. I literally watched 30 minutes and I couldn't keep watching it. I was like, this is going to make me hate this movie even more. My goal was to, and I told Felicia this, we usually don't do this, but I just, you know, I was like, I'm trying so hard not to hate this movie. Yeah, and I <laughs> knew sure. that because she, we talked like yeah. before, I think like around starting the podcast, you yeah. know, we had kind of, so I knew she didn't like it. We didn't break the rules, guys, promise. No, and I was like, can I watch this documentary? I know I'm not doing the research, but can I watch this? Because like, I really want to know and like this movie more than I do. But I watched 30 minutes of it and I was like, I'm fucking out of here. I cannot with this. <laughs> about the uh, whole, for those of you who aren't sure what we're talking about, I know there's a lot of conspiracy theories. One of the stuff, one of the ones I saw most prevalently talked about was that Stanley Kubrick was a part of faking the moon landing and that it was, you know, because of all of the Apollo and 11 and all of this stuff. Well, first when I was reading it, it's like, you know, because there's Apollo and then there's like this Apollo, um, He's wearing that yes, shirt, sweater. which I did. I did notice that sweater. And then the, when I stopped reading it is when it said all work and no play makes Jack an old boy that all can actually be looked at as a 11, like Apollo. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Okay. I'm, okay. Out. I'm out. Okay. You got me a little bit intrigued and now I'm like, oh, forget it. I'm not here for this. <laughs> yes. Reaching. Reaching. Yeah reaching i felt like yeah and then i went to wikipedia and i read a little bit more about these theories because i was just like okay am i gonna hang in for this documentary or not so i don't know i just got the gist of kind of what they were and that one in my opinion is the most compelling not because i think it's in any way true but just because it sounds like the most interesting oh yeah they have that whole movie i think it's called wag the dog that's about that okay that is about how some wars or different mm, crises were actually film productions it was a really good movie from what i remember okay. but um not necessarily the landing i don't know if they they say that but it's curious but anyways we're not saying stanley kubrick said this is not true 
He would have oh, to. Oh, he said though. it himself. Well, he would have to, though, right? Oh, yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yes. So, like, whatever. Take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Yes. Okay. So, let me just tell you, Mr. Stephen King, I am blindly obsessed with him. So, I'm, I'm blindly loyal to him. He might be a total <laughs> jerk. I don't know. I think he's great. So I'm on his side. I'm team Stephen King. But um, <laughs> him him and Stanley, yeah, uh, Stephen King was saying that he was disappointed in the film. In an interview, um, he says, it's like a big, beautiful Cadillac with no motor inside. You can sit in it and you can enjoy the smell of the leather, the upholstery. The only thing you can't do is drive it anywhere. So I would do everything different. The real problem is that Kubrick... Keep going. Oh, Okay, the real problem is that Kubrick set out to make a horror picture with no apparent understanding of the genre. Everything about it screams that from beginning to end, from plot decisions to the final scene. Um, he also said something about um, that he, the, the, his biggest um, uh, problem with Stanley Kubrick trying to make a horror film is that he has no, he doesn't understand people. So inside the novel, there was so much more um, about Jack and about his alcoholism, about their struggles, about he had been sexually abused by his father, about like a lot more that made him, um, you, you love the character, but he has these demons. So you take a character who you initially like, and he starts to lose his mind um, versus... <laughs> Dude, it wasn't too much into the movie. I was like, dude, he is a dick. Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent dick. I don't like him yes. at all. He's an asshole. Yes, <laughs> I love what you're saying right now because it does like validate how I feel about this movie. Because I don't identify or connect with or like or care about any of the fucking family. The mm. only person that I like and I care about is Dick Halloran. The mm -hmm. that's the only character that I can get on board with. Everybody else feels like a fucking cardboard cutout of a character just propped up. And I, I felt like, what is wrong with me that everybody else loves this movie so much and is able to see so much and read into it? And like, there's such depth. It feels so shallow to me, to be mm -hmm. honest. I, it just feels so fucking shallow. And I feel... I also know that it's based on a book and the book has to be more. There has to be this like extra level of depth. And especially with Stephen King, there's there's more shit going on here that just didn't make it to the movie, to the final thing. And yeah. I'm like, what is happening that everybody else loves this movie so much? And I cannot even, I can't, I, it's honestly, I can't, I have a hard time even watching it. I'm so bored. I'm so yeah. fucking bored watching this movie. And that is it. Is it because they don't feel like real people at all? The the acting on top of that is not great in my opinion, except for Dick Halloran. The little boy did pretty well. Yeah, for and a little five-year-old boy, he's pretty Yes, good. impressive. Yeah. I think in moments, Jack Nicholson did well. But like overall as a performance, I fucking hate it. It's probably the number one reason why I hate this movie, honestly, is because Jack Nicholson just does not do it for me. And just in my defense, though, I did watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and he is amazing in that movie. Oh, I'm glad you like Oh, yeah. Okay. I forgot. I forgot I was watching Jack Nicholson. He was amazing in that movie. 
And so it makes me think I'm not crazy. Okay, he, now he like, he turned it up to level a hundred and fucking 10 for The Shining. Do you feel that way too? Yeah, yeah. And actually okay. I was smiling because um, what he said here is in particular, King really disliked and disapproved of the casting of Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance. He said Just. this was because he felt that the novel, it was pivotal that Jack is initially a good man who slowly is overcome by the forces of evil and who is fighting a losing battle against alcoholism. Um, this was really important, by the way, to King, because this was him. He okay. was abusing drugs and alcohol and was a writer. And so there's a lot of him invested in this story as well. But anyway... King was in the opinion that, due to the casting of Nicholson, who was well-known for playing unstable characters, Jack in the film is very much on the edge when the story begins, and the character does not possess the inner goodness so vital to Jack of the novel. King wanted to cast someone else that could play the character as a more genial in, in, genial in the early stages— um, and he was hugely disappointed that the themes of evil, the evils of alcoholism, the disintegration of the family unit were relatively unimportant in the film due to his own battle with alcoholism and his personal investment in this novel. So he was very, very, very disheartened by the film. Yeah. Okay. I knew, I knew from reading beforehand that he wasn't happy with it because Jack Nicholson does seem to like go to crazy you know, so fast. I knew about that, but I didn't know. I I don't, I don't remember reading it in so many words, mm -hmm. but that is, that is fucking spot on. That's how I feel about it too. And the other thing is, let me just say, let me take this moment to say, I also feel like The Shining itself takes a fucking backseat to this movie. Yes. You could get rid of The Shining that Danny has entirely and it doesn't really change the outcome or what happens in the movie it doesn't affect what anybody does at all and so that's why even in my like you know 20 seconds with tawny or whatever this time i at the end of it i went back and i said i didn't even mention anything about the shining but you know what it actually kind of doesn't matter the only yeah. thing that i feel like affects the story is that Dick Halloran also has The Shining, and he starts to sense something fucky is going on. I need to get back up to the Overlook Hotel. And then he gets there and fucking dies immediately. One of the most frustrating, angry moments in cinema history for me personally in my entire fucking life. I guess I get it. They were probably going for hopeless, but I was like, we just invested like literally two hours in watching this man try to get back up to the fucking overlook hotel literally right felicia am i yeah. wrong no two you're hours. not wrong there's like two hours of this guy yes two hours and i love him i love him as a character he did a fantastic job of acting i wanted to see him come in and like save the day or at least do something literally walks in the door gets fucking hatchet what is that a fucking axed. axed. He got axed. axed. Thank you. Axed in the heart dies immediately. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, well, what the fuck was all that about? Like literally meant nothing. Pissed. So in the book, he lives. Okay. He only gets hurt and he helps Wendy and Danny escape. I love that. I yeah. wish that would have happened. Yeah. And actually Danny, um, yeah, the, the whole... Okay, so first let me tell you this. Stanley Kubrick, I know he's made some great movies, okay? I'm not taking that away from him. But after reading all of this, I really 
I really don't like this man, but I do, I do like a lot of his movies, but you know, um, he just absolutely, um, reamed Stephen King's novel. He said that the novel was sloppily written and was no great work of art. Um, and that he really wanted to make it a great horror film. So that's why he changed all these things. So then Stephen King created a screenplay and Kubrick rejected it on the spot. It was oh like, no, God, because it was really? too close to the book and your okay. book was garbage. Pretty much your, your novel is a piece of shit, but it has a good plot point. I like the storyline. So I'm going to take it and I'm going to create this masterpiece of, you know, uh, you know, horror film. Which, you know, then obviously Stephen King is like, you didn't. It was stupid. But then it started to gain all this popularity. It's won so many awards. It's been labeled a classic. It's like insane. And Stephen King's like, I have no fucking idea why anybody is scared by this movie. <laughs> yes. Yes, I agree. I agree, Stephen King. Okay. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they don't like... And even when he was going to make... um the i think it's not dr sleep is it or maybe it is maybe it is dr sleep or 237 um but stephen king wanted to he wanted to do it better so we made the mini mini series about it right is that 237 or dr uh no they Shit. did do a shining mini series in 97 i believe uh yes it was it was the 1997 mini series he wanted to do it better um because he was so dissatisfied however kubrick owned the rights to the 1980 adaptation. So in order for King to get the rights to readapt his own book into a miniseries, that's how it works. I know, I know people out there going, well, that's how it works, Felicia. Yes, I know. It's just business, right? Kubrick required that he sign a legally binding contract that forced Stephen King to no longer be able to bring up frequent public criticism of Kubrick's film. (laughs) <laughs> save okay. the sole commentary that he was disappointed with Jack Nicholson's portrayal of Jack Torrance. Sneaky. Uh, <laughs> sneaky. Okay. So if I can even, let's just move right into this if you don't mind, because it's another one that I really grappled with was Wendy. Mm. And Stephen King hated, hated the casting. He wanted um, oh, uh, Jessica Lange. Because in the book, the wife is a um, more of like the blonde cheerleader. <laughs> they got married, um, but she's strong. So like she's she's when when he said strong cheerleader, uh, it was more like just had you know a good life. Was the cheerleader, the popular girl in school, never ever had experienced anything like staying in a freaking you know. Uh, a ban- not a band, isolated, but shut down, hotel. isolated hotel. Yeah, so it would just in, you know increase the terror. And he hated hated um, Wendy because here it is. Um, he wanted the character in the book is someone who hasn't encountered any really true problems in her life, and so that would make the overlook even more terrifying for her. And he felt Duvall was too emotionally vulnerable and appeared to have gone through a lot in her life, which she did. She did, and it was basic. It was the exact opposite as what he was picturing. St- uh, Stanley Kubrick envisioned a more timid, dependent version of Wendy Torrance, and totally rejected the whole idea 
idea of a stronger woman because a emotionally fragile and dependent woman would be the only kind of woman that would stay with that type of man, which is not true. This is not fucking true though. I understand what he's saying, but that's not true. A lot of women find themselves oh, yeah. really yeah. strong, powerful women, women that may not feel that they're strong and powerful, find themselves in abusive relationships. So this is absolutely not true. And the last thing I'll say about Wendy before we actually talk about Wendy, if you don't mind, is, and I appreciated this, Stephen King said that Stanley Kubrick's version of Wendy Torrance is one of the most misogynistic characters ever <laughs> to be put on film. He says... She's just there to scream and be stupid. He insisted that this is not how the character was written. I feel like I pick up on that 100%. I don't like her fucking character for the same fucking Mm -hmm. reason. She's so terrified and like, I get it, but also I know that there's some sort of background about like uh, Kubrick torturing her in some kind of way there's something about like right i don't know what oh yes i don't remember the super details but it's like creating a situation where she is like even more vulnerable and scared yeah i wrote here that she just kind of walks around like a zombie so then i thought okay well maybe there's something to that because i'm always i'm trying to give it a chance i then when she had that when she was talking to the doctor i think it was the pediatrician and she did that little scene about how it was no big deal, you know, he, you know, and explained how he was drunk yeah. and he pulled his arm. I thought she did that great because yeah. I thought that was like, I was like, okay, maybe she's not. She convinced me. I was yeah. like, yeah, okay, no, you're right. Like, that's not a big deal. Yeah. You're just drunk. You pick a kid up by the, yeah, you totally do that. Like once a hundred. It's a little yeah. too strong. Yeah. She 100%. was really, I thought she did that really well. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be good. Then they get to the hotel and it's just like constantly like. Wow, this is a real beautiful place, isn't it? Wow, such a large kitchen. Wow, oh my. And I'm like, okay, there's like nothing more to her at all. And then there was like, I don't know, there was glimpses. And I I really, I did feel bad for her because he was such a fucking dick. And so I felt, I felt bad for her. And, but I, there were, and then, okay, just fast forward to, why she was running around, both hands in the air, knife in one hand like this constantly ah, for like an hour, ah, running around like this. Ah. And for you that are just listening, I just have my hands in the air. One has a knife and there's no knife in there. And the other, there's yeah. up ah, constantly. A hundred, like one, I literally have a list of things that I have that I, in my opinion, are bad acting physically. Bad physical acting. Bad physical acting, yes. And that is number three on my list is Wendy running up the stairs, just fucking some weak ass shit. Just some weak ass shit. Just fucking elbows in the air. Just. uh, Yeah. Remember? Like she runs upstairs and sees that weird thing. Was it like a guy in a dog mask giving another guy a blowjob or something like that? It was weird. She stood there just like this with her hands in the air like this. Oh. Oh, and flailed away. Like, what the fuck is happening? But can I say one thing before you go into all your other ones? Uh, to touch on what Tawny just, um, I read a lot about it, what she just mentioned. 
So I guess Stanley Kubrick in general is known for being really hard. He takes a lot of takes over and over and over again. Actually, the guy that you loved, um, uh, Scat... Dick Halloran? Yeah, Dick Halloran. Scatman uh, Crothers? Scatman yeah. Crothers. He was in another movie after that. I don't. I didn't remember. Um, and it only took, I think, one take. And he literally, it says, was reduced to tears, thanking... Oh my God, thank you for not doing it more because there would be like 200 takes with Stanley Kubrick. He, I think, was like 400 takes for just the the tennis ball hitting the wall oh to get my it right. God, no. So no. they were saying that all of it was like that, that um, uh, Angelica Houston was living with Jack, uh, Jack, yeah, Jack Nicholson at the time, that he would come home from filming and just crash out. He would go into the room and crash out. And to what you're saying, Duvall, Shelley Duvall, he was the hardest on her. And so what he was trying to do is, um, well, this is what they say. He tortured her. He would yell at her. He'd scream at her. He would tell everyone on the set, you're wasting our time. You know, just like fucking just ream her constantly. She got so sick. She had so much anxiety. She fell ill. She was losing clumps of her hair. Jack Nicholson said he saw clumps of her hair come out. She was in this constant state of panic for six days a week, 16 hours a day. She said it was by far the hardest role she had ever done that looking back, she thinks that he was just trying to get her in truly in the most hopeless and desperate state as like method acting. Sort of like, for example, Jack Nicholson hates cheese sandwiches for, I think it was like two, three weeks. They only fed him cheese sandwiches. That's all he could eat to get him in that grumpy, grumpy mood, this method acting sort of thing. But she was physically ill. So it was the hardest thing in her life. Even Jack Nicholson was like, I've never, ever worked with an actress who had that hard of a time and that had to go through it. And so then they kind of, um, vent venerated for lack of a better word her acting like they were like wow she did so amazing but i think it was people there witnessing what she had gone through gone through yeah and the thing that sucks is like knowing that she went through such torture and then now me just sitting here being like i don't like the acting performance feels shitty but that's the honest truth i don't think Mm -hmm. it was good in the end personally so was it worth it how about just yes, let her so act? It, I know. And also, if you have to force people to the point of fucking breaking to get them to give you the performance that they want, either you're a bad fucking director or they're not a fucking great actor or actress. Like, I I just, I don't think that that's, that should be the lengths that you need to go to. Yeah. You shouldn't have to push people to the fucking brink. It's not that big of a deal. Like, obviously, having entertainment is important, and it's great to have escapism. But to push somebody... Because, to my knowledge, after that, she stopped acting, right? And now she won't even fucking talk about it. Yeah, she was in Popeye with, with Robin Williams. And oh. I remember that so clearly. I When I see her, I only see her as Olive. <laughs> because she was so Olive. So I used to watch the cartoons, too. Um yeah. But yeah, I think that that, I mean, she's was probably in other things, but not, I only remember this movie and Popeye. Is it like worth just dis- destroying somebody's fucking career because you put them in such a traumatic space? You know what I mean? Like, I don't think so. 
And then again, now it feels shitty to sit here and be like, I don't like her performance because she, that she gave so much for that. Yeah. And she was, she was the um, target of so much abuse in a way, right? Yeah. To be able yeah. to give that performance. So it fucking sucks. But also I don't think it's that good. And it's so really what did not. you do all that for? Yeah. I think, honestly, let me just tell you this. As somebody who's only watched literally two of Stanley Kubrick's movies, I think he's a pretentious fucking asshole. <laughs> and I'm not on board. Yeah. I'm not here for it. I'm sorry. But that's just me. I've watched The Shining and I've watched A Clockwork Orange. And both of those movies I fucking hated. Sorry. Hate me if you want to hate me about it. But they're fucking both pretentious, in my opinion. I think he thinks his shit doesn't stink. And I think he can fucking, he thinks he can like boss people around and do whatever the fuck he wants and take a million takes. Guess what? If you can't get it in a handful of takes, maybe you should look at yourself, buddy. Okay? You're the one who's directing these people. If you can't get what you want, ask yourself, why am I not getting what I want out of these people? Not, how can I push these people to the fucking brink of their lives to get what I want. I'm sorry. Yeah. Hey, you remember that scene where Danny is playing in the hallway with his trucks on that cool carpet, that iconic carpet, and yeah. then the, the tennis ball rolls up? That took 50 takes for the tennis ball. Rolling into Danny's toys took 50 takes. No. No. You're right. He does seem like this... It, I I seek perfection. So, yeah. uh, and like, I don't know what was so perfect about the tennis ball rolling it. I don't, I mean, it's, it happened. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Ugh. Okay. Oh, and something that I just, now this is way after the fact, and I'm sorry, but I'm going back to the um, misogyny of it, was there is this whole monologue by Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance, right, about like, I have to meet my uh, supervisor's contract and, he, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. And you kind of get the sense that, like, this family, her and her and his son, their son, is just along for the ride. That does feel kind of misogynistic to me. It's like, they don't have any fucking say. They're just like, whatever. And I get it, the 80s were a different time. But on the flip side, you have, they even say in the movie, uh, I think it's the bartender or the previous caretaker says... Your wife is more resourceful than previously yeah. thought. Like, so it's a weird it. mixed message. It's like, is she? But she doing is well? the one doing all the work. I even noted, is he just, is he fucking doing? I even remember the instructions turning on the boiler, heating the different areas of the hotel. Like, is he doing any of that? And then you actually see her doing it. Yeah. She's cooking the food, she's heating the different areas of the hotel. He's sitting there fucking trying to write and being an yeah. asshole. Anyway. You know that um, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy is not in the novel. And neither okay. is the Here's Johnny. That was ad-libbed. Yeah. Yeah. And all of that. And the boiler room in the novel, it takes a, a bigger piece and just like, just the characters, the development of the characters is a bigger piece in the novel. Also that, naked scene in the bath the woman's oh, naked yeah. he kisses her that's not in the book either yeah i'm not surprised but my, my husband goes stanley kubrick you always have to have blood in a naked woman <laughs> okay yeah 
But I will say that fucking bathtub lady was one of my like positives. Uh, I was like fucking A plus plus. Like that shit is scary and it yeah. holds up because it's all practical, like super gross. It Loved was super gross. That. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Something that I read a lot about that I don't know. I I mean I I understood the ghost aspect of, you know, that room, 237 and the the girls that were killed. And uh, I thought that was such a, a dark, great story and piece. Fucking did not like the fucking ballroom bullshit. I didn't like it at all. I didn't. Maybe it's just me and I didn't really understand it. Those are what all dead ghost guests, like, I just didn't, I didn't just fucking care at all. And I hated when he'd go into that ballroom. We had to listen to all that bullshit. Um, but I loved the other portion of it with the girls and the room and the darkness. I don't know. Maybe there was more of that. I know there is that whole ballroom bartender stuff in the novel. Uh, I don't think it's not the main portion of the novel, though. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that's just my I hated that. I just hated it when he went into that ballroom and he was fucking talking and fucking all of that Me shit. too. Me too, dude. I'm sorry. I'm just so I'm straight boring. complaining. I'm straight just complaining about this movie so far. But honestly, this this is one of the parts that I'm like, I cannot fucking handle this Jack Nicholson performance. Ten nine times out of ten, right? I tell you, Felicia, I'm like, this person didn't give me any eyebrows. I need more <laughs> eyebrows. Now, for whatever reason, this one instance in my life, I need Jack Nicholson to take it down from 111 to fucking nine. You know, like he's way over the top acting. He's like, oh, hey, Lloyd. What? And he's like, what will it be today, Jack Torrance? And he's like, the hair of the dog that bit me. And he's doing this whole fucking way overacted bullshit. And he's like, it's my wife. You know what I'm saying? Like, just so fucking much. And the other thing that I think that frustrates me is that Jack Nicholson is doing this whole, um, like, sarcastic anger. Like, he's, like, happy and also mad at the same time. Just as a human being, I cannot appreciate that. I fucking hate it. If you're angry, say so. You know, like, I don't like that. But just... Do you mean, like, passive-aggressive? Or... yeah. Yeah, like passive aggressive um, when people are like, condescending. you can tell that they're mad, but they're like trying to joke it off. They're like, "Mm -hmm, yeah, great. Okay. (laughs) You know, like that's like the fucking vibe that I get from Jack Nicholson through this entire fucking movie. So anybody listening, you have to just go to YouTube to listen (laughs) to watch the last minute of Tawny (laughs) explaining this. Okay, sorry, Tawny, go ahead. I'm sure it's going to embarrass me. Please don't. I'm sure. That's so that's great. Ridiculous. It's so great. <laughs> I liked the scene where she comes in and he tells her to get the fuck out of the room. That whole thing. Because it seemed like a real. That was one moment where I was like, it seemed like a real response from a narcissistic asshole. And yeah. um, actually, Jack Nicholson said he drew from a lot of personal experience because he's a writer as well. This made me question if I like Jack Nicholson as a person because <laughs> okay. um, he's a writer as well. And he had the same exact experience with his girlfriend. I think it was where he was like, 
if I'm, if, if I'm typing, if you hear me typing, or if you even hear me or see me in this fucking room, don't bother me that he had that exact interaction. And I was mm. just like, what have you written? Maybe he's written a lot. I don't know, guys. Has he? Mm. I haven't heard the great anything. novels by Jack, Jack Nicholson. Nicholson <laughs> novels. Jack's Life, a biography of Jack Nicholson. Okay. 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 Great job, Jack. Right. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your great literary work. No, I know how hard it is to write a how hard it is to write a book and all that. And I thought that that was you know well portrayed. I I mean, um, you know, whatever. He was a dick. He was a dick. I'm not disrespecting the the writing process and writer's block and all of that sort of thing. I'm just saying, like, whatever. Stephen King said that one um, scene, it's also in the book, about where he pulls his son because he scattered papers everywhere, that that was actually drawing from real experience where he didn't hurt his son, but he came in and he had written something and his son had taken all of the papers and had scattered them around and was playing on him. And he's like, I could have killed him. Yeah. Uh, like that, but. it does feel like a very real part of this movie. You're like, like, a, like we were talking about earlier, you know, uh, Wendy is explaining that and you're like, yeah, Sure. And then you also love him. Okay, now for a half second, you love him because he's like, okay, I stopped drinking after that. Yeah, I thought, oh, maybe he's good. Yeah. Yeah. But from the moment we meet him, he's a fucking insufferable person. He's Mm -hmm. like shitty in the interview. He's not super authentic, whatever. And then he's driving up there with his family and he's already irritated. Obviously hates him. Yeah, just like hates everybody, not on board with anything. But I think now is a good time for me to say one of my pros is I do think one of the best things about this movie is the amazing wide landscape mm. shots. Like, I was really impressed by that just right off. That's what you start off with, right, is the shot above the water, like, and then they follow the car sort of through the mountains into town. That was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I liked, I was, like, amazed at how they, like, I don't even know how they, how they pulled that off back then. <laughs> I mean, you had to have been in a helicopter, right? Okay, so that Volkswagen Beetle traveling through the landscape like you were talking about. Ridley Scott was forced uh, by Warner Brothers to add a happy ending to the original release of Blade Runner. So Stanley Kubrick, who was also a fan of Scott's previous film, Alien, happily gifted the footage, uh, the extra footage, that they did not use. That was the only condition that couldn't be footage they used in, um, in the shining, but there was plenty of footage of just that whole driving scene. And so you'll see the same car. It's, it's all the same, not the same footage, sorry, that was used in the shining, but the footage that was shot during that time in that ending of blade runner. Interesting. Okay. (laughs) That's cool. So something that I really loved, a shot I really loved that I um, jotted down here was, so him chasing his son in the maze got fucking old real quick. I was fucking tired. Just like, get the kid or have the kid get away. I obviously wanted the kid to get away. But there was one cool shot at the very end, right before he gives up, where it's just darkness around this maze and you see him slowly kind of dragging himself and he's darkness and he's lit by this this um light that's at the end of the maze 
that's kind of lighting up his figure within the dark maze. Mm. I loved that. It was just, it was very quick. And I thought that was beautiful. It was super satisfying that they got away. Yeah, 100%. Like, thank God. Because they don't deserve to be (laughs) subjected to this at all. No, and you know what? That, um, so the woman, I think her name was Diane or something, uh, who made the screenplay that he chose uh, over, Diane Johnson, yeah. He rejected Stephen King's um, screenplay and chose Diane Johnson, Johnson because he liked her novel, The Shadow Knows. So anyways, um, she, you know, was happy to do it, obviously. But he, when he had, there was a couple things that he, that Kubrick did that she was really uh, upset about. And one of them, I believe, was killing Dick so quickly. And the other was, I think it had something to do with the scrapbook. Because inside the novel, the scrapbook of all the research that he's done on the Overlook Hotel and everything, and the boiler room, all of this was like a huge part of the novel because it explained um, a lot of Jack's relation relationship with his father and his um, alcohol abuse and all this sort of thing. It really displayed that. In this, it's the scrapbook is literally, I think, on the corner of his desk. They don't really talk about it at all. Yeah, and- I don't know anything about a scrapbook. Yeah, I didn't notice it either in the movie. So that those two things that she was she was upset with because she thought that it there were big chunks that were missing in the overall story. Yeah. I wrote so big. I can't handle the way she runs with her hands in the air with that fucking knife. That's what I wrote while I was watching this movie. <laughs> fucking uh, I was pissed. By the by the time I got to that moment, I was like I was like throwing my hands in the air. I was like, what is this? I said it earlier. What is this weak shit? I cannot with this fucking acting. And let me give you two more just while we're on the subject. Like I said earlier, there are moments of really bad physical acting. And that is my last uh, in terms of, you know, how the movie goes. So I'm going to go backwards. The second to last is Jack dipping his bacon in literally nothing. I don't know if you remember this, but he's like talking to Wendy. Yeah, in the egg like, yolk. Wasn't he dipping in an egg yolk? Or- yeah, it's like, yeah, I guess. I don't know, but who the fuck dicks the, dips their dicks? <laughs> who the dicks f- around with their bacon? Yeah. <laughs> who the fuck dicks? How are you going to dip your bacon 87 fucking times throughout a scene? And that's what made me feel like it was bad acting. It's like, you can be doing something other than just a repetitive motion while you're doing a scene. Yeah. But I feel like almost the director, Stanley Kubrick, in this moment was like, yeah, you're like eating breakfast. So just keep moving around the breakfast. Right. So fucking keep jerking off your bacon in the, in the egg yolk. <laughs> exactly, dude. Exactly. Go back and watch this fucking scene. Tell me it's not fucking ridiculous. He's like, mm, I don't know, Wendy. Like, it's great. I love being here. Yep. Blah, blah, blah. Like it just happens for like fucking a minute straight where he's just dipping his. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I don't know. She's not she's lying because bacon. I knew exactly what she was talking about. Cause I was like, what is he dipping his bacon in? And then there was a shot where you can kind of see some egg yolk. And I'm like, oh, he's dipping his bacon in the egg yolk, I think. But the fact that I even gave a shit what he was dipping his bacon in. That's, is a problem. Yes, is a problem. You should not be able to pick up on that at all as a viewer, right? 
And so the fact that it happens a few times makes me think it probably happened six plus times. It's just that I picked up on those three, right? So mm-hmm. you've got Wendy fucking just flailing her elbows around. And then you've got Jack dipping his bacon. The first one that I noticed is actually Danny as a child, a little boy playing darts in the very <laughs> beginning of the movie. And I don't know if you picked up on this, but they're like, yeah, you know that some adult told him, hey, Danny, or whatever the kid's name is. Um, this is how you play darts. Is that His you name is Danny, it? actually, by the way. Oh, is it Danny? Okay. Yeah. Hey, Danny, kid Danny. <laughs> this is how you play darts, is you hold a dart out kind of in front of your eye, and you aim, right? Like, you <laughs> aim kind of where you're going to throw it, and then you throw the dart. But being a fucking five-year-old child, mm-hmm. what Danny does is that he holds it way above his head. He can't even see where he's like, and he just goes like, he just, <laughs> he just like moves his hand around up above his head and then throws the dart like three or four times. Right. And you're just like, okay, I fucking can't with this. This is not good directing. It's not good acting. Like th- they didn't get what they wanted to. He's just fucking. <laughs> But it's true because each thing you can't, if you can't see us because you're not watching it on YouTube, as soon as she started talking about it, I immediately made that motion of like aiming the dart over and over again. And that's the thing. We're not being assholes. It's the fact that we noticed that so intensely, it shouldn't have been our focus. Right. We shouldn't have noticed that. And I think that is bad directing. Yeah, I think that it's it's yeah, it's it's a uh, bad physical acting that should have been corrected with directing. And to, and if you need this five year old child to do something else, have him do something else. Why is it important that he's playing darts, a fucking adults game? Why doesn't he be doing a puzzle or something? You know, like it just doesn't make any actual sense. We seem to have lost the forest through the trees in the process of making this movie, it feels like to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you on that. You know what I do want to say, though? Now that I've talked to, like, 100% shit, let me just say some positive stuff. (laughs) The sound design on this movie is phenomenal. It is oppressive. It is, like, intense. You can't, like, I mean, I had to turn the TV down in order to watch this movie. It's so, um, it's so good. It like, I feel like the sound design far surpasses the movie itself. It makes me nervous. It makes me on edge. It's so fucking good. And just nothing catches up with it, which is sad, but it was, I, I just felt like that was one of my pros that I walked away with is this is so intense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, I agree with that. I have this quote by uh, Pauline Kael. I don't know who she is, guys, but I kind of like what she said. (laughs) She marveled at the technological, um, yeah, accomplishments of the movie. Like, the same thing Stephen King was saying, but also finds it cold. What's increasingly missing from Kubrick's uh, work 
is the spontaneity, the instinct, the lightness that would make us respond intuitively. We're starved for pleasure at this movie. When we finally get a couple of exterior nighttime shots with theatrical lighting, we're pathetically grateful. As Wendy, trying to escape from Jack, opens a window and looks at the snowstorm outside, and then as she pushes Danny out and he slides down the snowbank, we experience for a second or two the spectral beauty we have been longing for. Um, Earlier... Uh, when Wendy looked at the pile of manuscripts that her husband had been working on, she found only one sentence, I'll work and no play make Jack's a dull boy, typed over and over. We all work and no play make Stanley a dull boy. <laughs> well, all work and no play make Stanley a dull boy too. He was locked up with this project for more than three years. And if ever there was a movie that expressed cabin fever, this is it. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. <laughs> Yes. I feel so vindicated by what you're bringing to me in this moment. And so I appreciate you for that. <laughs> also. There was, yeah, there was a lot. It just started to grow into this cult classic. And I didn't find it particularly terrifying. I did like the woman in the bath. Oh, I loved when he saw the little girls and then there's flashes of them dead and then flashes of yeah. them there. and fla- Like these moments. That wasn't the majority of the film. The majority of the film was the fucking... 1920s flapper bar shit. Like, who fucking cares about all those people? Like, what even was all that? It, yeah, it doesn't even make... That's like the back half of the movie. The front half of the movie is just, like, really long fucking shots of, like, nothing happening. Jeez. Like, and I love a slow burn. You know that about me. Okay, it's I was like... burn, really, though. Sorry, go no. on. No! You're right, yeah. though. You're right. I loved, um, you know, like... Uh, the dark and the wicked, right? Like I mm-hmm. like stuff that's like slow builds, scary, but like none of that paid off for me here. And it just was like, I am gonna, I'm gonna say something right now that people are gonna shit their pants about. I wish, I wish that somebody would remake this movie, yeah, because I feel like there's so much good here. I feel like there's such potential that could be realized. And it just didn't get realized in this movie. I just, I, I wish that somebody would do what I want them to do. Because the other thing is, I fucking love an isolation movie. I think you guys should know, if you've listened to a handful of episodes, you know that about me. That's one of my favorite themes. I love people being fucking lost. And like, mm-hmm. out in the middle of nowhere, can't contact other people. Love that. They didn't play on that almost at all. There was one moment finally where Jack pulls the, you know, connections out of the radio so they can't get a hold of the, you know, forest uh, service or whatever. But I'm like, aside from that, that's it. These people yeah. feel pretty actually well connected with people around them. And I yeah. I wish there had been long. You could replace all of the time spent, you know, on people's faces or dialogue scenes or monologue scenes or whatever. With shots out the window of snow falling, because I grew up in Colorado. I know what it's like to be in a blizzard. You could have replaced all that time with shots just of the snow falling, and that would have been more suspenseful and scary to me. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. I did like how it was, um, it was a week later, then it was a month later, then it was like Wednesday, Thursday. Wednesday, Monday, and it was kind of this loss of time 
you don't even know really how, how much longer do they have in this place or how much. So I did like that little piece of it, but you're right. The characters themselves seem pretty, you know, well, minus, you know, Jack Nicholson going crazy, but you know, they had their routine. It didn't seem, I don't know. It didn't seem cabin feverish really. I mean, even Jack Nicholson, if I think about it, losing his mind was more, so that was another thing he was battling with alcohol I didn't really catch that. He had been sober for five years and then he was pretending to drink in this fucking flapper bar. I don't even know if there's flappers, but, um, is that supposed to depict that he's struggling with alcohol? I guess like it wasn't really that powerful of a statement. Um, it was more like he was just losing his mind because of the, I guess the ghosts or cause he couldn't write a book. I don't, I don't know. There was a lot of, now that I'm talking about this, I feel like there were so many themes going on and none of them fully fleshed out. We don't know why he is getting increasingly angry. And in my opinion, even in the movie, he's not getting increasingly angry. He's just the same level of angry. But you want to say like, okay, yeah, he's probably, you know, getting more and more angry. I don't know. But we don't get to see any of that. We don't know why. We don't understand. There's no explanation for mm-hmm. any of that other than Danny's like visions, his shining visions through what has happened in this place before. But we don't get to experience that through Jack's eyes at all. So it makes no fucking sense to me why it like happens to him. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's a really good point. And I know in the novel, the shining is a huge part of it. Uh, Danny doesn't tell his parents. He keeps it a secret. And The Shining, for him and for um, for Hallman, right? Halloran. Halloran. It's like a way bigger part of the story. Um, but you're absolutely right. I feel like, yes, Jack Nicholson gets increasingly more angry, but I don't see it as a descent. I see it as always there, and he's repressing it. That's how I see it. He is on the fucking verge every minute of this movie. When they're driving and little boy is asking about the Donner party, every time the boy opens his mouth, he goes, <sighs> you can tell every time his wife opens his mouth, he wants to hit her. You can tell. Yeah. So it's almost like he's this level of ax murder or angry and he's trying to hold it back the whole movie. There's no, I'm not angry and I'm descending into madness. No, he's fucking there. He's just trying not to act on it. And even that I could get on board with, even that, if you planted the seeds along the way that now he has them trapped, now he can cut off communication with other people. Now he has the opportunity to actually like carry out whatever fucking fucked up fantasy he has about his family but that's not the situation either, right? Like, that's not mm-hmm. what they're going for. So it's just a fucking missed opportunity. It's like, I just can't help but watch this movie. Like, I'm just, I don't know. I'm like, Yeah, why does the hotel take over Jack? Because the previous chair- caretaker killed his family? So is it the caretaker spirit that's taken over Jack? Or this happened Yeah, it makes no time? sense. And then... My biggest question is, towards the end of the movie, they show him in the old picture, right? Yeah. So he's been there the whole time. They mentioned that earlier. What does that even, what is that even supposed to mean? Tell yes. me, Felicia, please. Okay. 
So at the end of the movie, because Steve watched this with me, and then it closed. First of all, I didn't like how they showed the picture. And you clearly know there's someone in the picture you should see. And you quickly spot Jack Nicholson. But then it's like, just in case you didn't see it, we're going to zoom in. And then just in case you didn't see that, we're really just going to focus on his face. Oh, did you notice this was Jack Nicholson? Let's focus on his face again. I fucking got it, man. I got it. But anyways, I said it was done. And I looked at my husband. I was like, what was that? What the fuck was that supposed to mean? Like, what was that? What was that picture? What did that mean? And my husband goes, I don't know. I was like, is he reincarnating over and over again? Is that what, that's what this movie was about? Reincarnation and the same character keeps. And then I remember Jack Nicholson said something like, man, walking around this hotel, I felt like I knew every corner. So you've reincarnated several times. And every time you reincarnate, you kill your family. Is that what this movie's about? Hmm. Anyway, I Googled it. So one of the things it said, uh, so actually Stanley Kubrick said, the ballroom photograph at the very end suggests the reincarnation of Jack. That means that Jack Torrance is the reincarnation of a guest or someone on staff at the Overlook Hotel from 1921. But either way, the end result is Jack is becoming a part of the hotel. Okay, so he was an insignificant reincarnation. So he wasn't even the reincarnation of the man who killed his family. He's just a reincarnation of a guest who had been at that hotel before. So now this is a whole new storyline. Yeah. This is a new storyline. So not only this is why he recognized, I felt like I've been here before. Because you did. You were some guest at the hotel in 1921. Why does that matter? Why does that matter? Yeah. It's stupid. There's literally no, like, planting of the seeds of that at all. No, that one comment. In that really weird conversation, by the way. Where he calls his wife and she goes, uh, oh, do you got the job? And he's like, oh, yeah. So um, I feel like I've had. What? Why did? Yeah, babe, I got the job. Like, I know. What the I fuck also was that response? That. <laughs> Just fucking tell her. Yeah, I got the job. Or no, I didn't. Or I'm not sure. There's like yeah. three fucking options. Yeah. No, you went with. Uh, oh yeah so i walked around the hotel and i really feel like i i just recognized every corner that was it and then it loops all back around at the end when he's in a picture from 1920s okay great all right and you like listen i think you know that i love a good time loop situation like i Mm -hmm. love that but it didn't feel like that it was like okay well now this This is like this throwaway thing at the end. And granted, the guy earlier says, oh, you've been here the whole time. I just came in afterward. But like, there's literally nothing to suggest that he is a reincarnation of a previous person. So how the fuck am I as a viewer supposed to like figure that out? And why does it matter? Yeah. If he's a reincarnation and this one guy came in and killed his family in between him being there in the 20s and him reincarnating and being there in the 80s. In the 80s. Why does that matter at all within the storyline? I don't understand. Unless he had re- he was reincarnation of this guy who killed his family and now he's going to kill his family again. But still. Yeah, it's not... It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any bearing on the story. And can we say, 
Jack Nicholson frozen to death is not scary and it's more like kind of funny. It's looking. the funniest thing. It's, it's a funniest thing. Thank you. It's not it's ridiculous looking. I hate it. I hate it in a horror movie. It's the worst. Thing. I think I've told you this before. Like I can't get on board because I watched too much anger management. So the moment that they show him on camera with his fucking eyes rolled back in his head, he's just like <laughs> frozen. It's so dumb. It's absurd I also looking. Laughed. And also, can I say, just on the same like train of thought, I think it's like the um, it's the second scene. The first scene, once they get to the hotel and he's starting to act a little crazy, it's the second scene with him that he's staring out the window <laughs> like this. And it's like the the gif that everybody fucking uses of the shining oh, and he's like yeah. in a green sweater and he's just staring out the window. Uh, it's just like a very slow zoom into his face. I'll fucking post that somewhere. I don't know. Yes. Maybe our Discord or whatever. It's comical. Like if you take moments from this movie, you're like, that's mm -hmm. fucking funny. This is like a funny movie. But no, it's not meant to be that way. And so I can't, I just, I wish I would have been like, born 13 years before this movie came out so I could have experienced the terror that came with frozen Jack Nicholson in the maze. <laughs> but unfortunately, that is not my experience. I'm just like, what the fuck is this? This is awful. So I can say, I told Steve, I was like, yeah, I don't think Tony likes this movie. Um, and, I, and I told him how you'd said that about how you picture comedic Jack Nicholson. And he's like, ah, no, no, this is a great movie. Then he watched it. And then he was struggling with some pieces, but I could tell he was really trying to hold on to fight for that nostalgia yeah. piece that he remembered. Um, and then he goes, oh, shit. Yeah, I can see that's the Joker. Totally. So much of it was the Joker. Now, the Joker was made after. He was the Joker after The Shining. Yeah. So, but since we've seen them both now going back and watching The Shining, there was a lot of the Joker in the movie. Mm, interesting. I haven't even seen that in mm -hmm. so long. Like, I'm sure I watched it, but it's been... I'll just watch you know. a snippet and you'll be like, oh shit, The Shining. Yeah, I'm sure. Just a lot more makeup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you can't, like, unsee what you've seen, right? Yeah. So even if you watched it after it came out, and even, like, I'm just going back to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It is so different, dude. I'm telling you, I got halfway through that movie and I forgot... I mean, I didn't super love that movie either. It was it was good. Yeah. I, I might put it above The Shining, honestly. Yeah. So I just feel good. I'm actually super glad I watched that before The Shining because now I have kind of a comparison. I'm like, he did so great in that movie. It was so toned down. It was so human, reasonable. You know, like I loved yeah. it. And this is yeah. so over the top. I just can't even. I'm like, what? Are you a circus performer with those eyebrows? Yeah. Put him away. Put him away. There's, oh, they're like, yeah, he. Yeah, that was his idea of what it looks like to be mad. Crazy. crazy totally lost Excuse it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can we just keep talking about how great Scamman Crothers was, though. Because yes. I think my 
favorite scene of the entire movie is when he's talking to Danny about the ice cream. Like he got him ice cream and he's like sitting mm-hmm. there just talking to him alone. This one part of the movie blew me away. I was like, this is so fucking good. I cannot. This guy died in like the 80s, which is sad. I'm like. He was in his 70s. In the 80s? Yeah. So he. Okay. He, not that it's okay to die, but I mean, I, I mean, it is okay to die, like naturally die. <laughs> it just happens. But I get what you mean. <laughs> lived a lot. Okay, thank you. He was yeah. also in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, I saw, I saw that mm-hmm. after I looked him back up. He was Turkle. He was yeah. the guy who lets them sort of have a party. Yeah, and he was fucking great in that movie too. <laughs> like, what a fucking great actor! But I just feel like he transcended everybody else. I was like, this guy is fucking amazing. He feels so <laughs> real, so palpable. Like he's such a fucking human being that it just everybody else paled in comparison. Yeah, I just he, loved him. He was a lovely person. I giggled because I thought of the very interesting shot of. The naked women above his bed and above his TV. They they really featured that. They really featured it a lot. So I looked it up because I was curious because they really focused on it. And I saw something along the lines of um, making a point that because he has the shining, he's not like uh, a spiritual being or like a prophet or anything like that. He's just a normal man. And so and that that type of art was very popular as well back then. Oh, okay. And so that's what I had read about that. But and I actually I I got something wrong. It wasn't Jack that was sexually abused by his father. Um that wasn't the piece. There was more about Jack and and his backstory and why he's struggling with alcoholism, but it was actually Dick. Okay, so Dick um Halloran's grandmother and her great-grandmother in the novel also had the shining. And they carried on conversations mentally. Halloran was sexually abused by his grandfather when he was five, who used to call Halloran Dicky Bird. He also burned Halloran with a cigarette um, and bit him, but said nothing would happen if Dick told his parents um, because of their, or said, but he said nothing um, would happen because if Dick told his parents uh, something about their inheritance. Sorry, I'm not reading that correctly. But um, anyways, he didn't tell his parents. He later died of a stroke, but he came back to haunt Dick. Um, and like Miss Macy came back to haunt Danny, um, uh, Dick was, uh, and Dick was quite the ladies' man. So I think there's just, I feel like there's so much more in the novel about Dick as a character. And yeah. he's like so, even more of a richly character that they tried to fucking condense, which I know you have to when you make movies, into there's some naked women above his bed, so he's a ladies' man. And, uh, you know, and he has the shining. <laughs> and he mentioned something about being able to speak without talking. Um, he talked about that as well. And then that was it. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, I also get it though when you're making a movie, especially around a book, there's there's pieces. You have to pick what's important, what's not. And I wonder if Stanley just really didn't make the right decisions on what's important and what's not. Yeah, or yeah. To like, make it all come together. Yeah, or he read it and he picked out the things that he felt like were super important and it just I mean, apparently connected with most 
of the audience, right? Like, I feel like I'm the fucking outlier. I'm the minority. I don't love this movie and I think it misses the mark. So maybe he did connect with parts that, you know, hit the mark for the majority of people. But just for me, I'm like, I feel so fucking hollow. It feels like nothing. I feel like there's so much more beneath this. And it makes me want to read The Shining book because I feel like there's probably such a great fucking story underneath. I just didn't get that in the movie version. I wonder if this whole, like, you know, here's Johnny and Jack Nicholson in general and people loving him elevated this movie more than it should have been. Yeah. It became kind of a, like, uh, had, like, a cult following. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know. There was, I didn't write them down. If you want to look, you can look. There was a ton of awards. Like the third scariest film, the 10th best it, horror film. Like It got inducted into like the Hall of Fame for yep. like, a, what is it? The national, just something about like cultural significance, right? Yeah, like, yes, yes. Yeah. And I just can't help but be like, what? <laughs> if you go to Wikipedia, know. it literally looks like a freaking doctoral thesis of information here. I have not ever on some of the most major world topics seen so many. If you look at, go to Wikipedia and look at the table of contents for the article. There is so, so much. I don't, I am obviously not a great film historian. So it's very likely that I am incorrect but I have to agree with Tawny that I feel I feel like people want this to be more than it is. And so they're trying to find or read into it that there's all these underlining things that are more intense and extreme topics, making it more of like a classic and a cult classic because it's so much more beyond what you just see. And I don't think it is. I think he... Um, there were two egos. There were Stephen King and Stanley Kubrick. And um, and Stanley was like, I like the idea, but your shit's garbage. So I'm going to make it how I want to make it. They were obviously fighting back and forth and disliked each other strongly. He made this movie thinking he was a master. Stephen King pretty much spit on it. <laughs> and, and that's what happened. <laughs> I like that. Twice. Not just yes. once, just twice. Twice. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah. And it feels like a fucking, like, fight out between the two of them. But also, like, I just, I have to kind of land on Stephen King's side. Me too. I'm like, I don't know about this. It doesn't feel like it really captured the heart of whatever was written in the book. And, you know, if other people loved it and watched it and were scared, like, great. I don't yeah. want to take anything away from that. That is We want you to be scared. Yes. I mean, so <laughs> that's a great experience. Like, not to take anything away from that. That's awesome. And I kept thinking as I was watching this the second time, what I, what would this have been like had I watched this as a younger kid or whatever? I would have loved being scared by the idea of like a haunted hotel. 
just something that like you don't even expect it. You just like stay in overnight and like, oh shit, now we're fucking possessed because we stayed in this evil ass place. I love the idea, the concept of that, just because it's scary and you can't really defend against it. But just the way that it came to be in the movie, I don't love it. And so... Well, I'm going to tell you one more thing who's going to reinforce your idea of Stanley Kubrick. I guess his secretary, maybe? Well, first of all, his secretary worked for uh, weeks, even months. So it it was more than a month on typing out all work and no play make Jack so, so that they had that many papers. She yeah. just had to keep typing it. But anyways, she said she thought that maybe um, he this was going to be his next project because he gets books sent to him and he she's sitting outside his office, right? And she'll hear like every five, ten minutes a book slam against the wall. So he's reading a book and he's like, garbage, and slams it against the wall, slams it against the wall. And then she was like, it was like 20, 28 minutes and she didn't hear the book slam against the wall. So she thought, oh, The Shining's going to be his next project because oh, he shit. was reading it. Okay. Instead of throwing it against the wall. Yes. Okay. Sure. All the garbage across my desk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's probably really hard to get some really good stories, but I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Well, Tawny, do you have anything else to say about this movie? Actually, maybe I didn't even need to do more research because it would have just been more research down a rabbit hole that really wouldn't have brought us any closer to anything else. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say my last thing that I have on my pro list that I like about this movie is just I already mentioned some of this but the camera work specifically I think I already talked about this like you know the big sweeping landscape type shots but the other things that I noticed that I really really liked were the moments where the camera moves with him as he's swinging the axe into the door I mean like the camera moves back as he's like winding up to like strike the door and I fucking love that there's it's very effective and I feel like we didn't get back to that until somewhat recently with like you know um James Wan like we watched this in um the orphanage do you remember Mm -hmm. this where she's like looking and looking back and the camera follows yes yes where she's looking and he tends to do that a lot in, in his films. And I, I like that a lot. I think it adds a lot. So I loved that part. And then the other moment is when Jack and Wendy are sort of having it out. And she is backing up and the camera follows her and him throughout the entire large space. Like, I loved that. I thought that was oh, really yeah, well she done. She had the vat. The Yes. Yes. I thought that was really well done. I liked that a lot. I felt like that was way ahead of its time. The, just that camera work was really great. It's just that everything else didn't really like keep up with the same level. Yeah. Even when um, they were following that little boy around the, the, on his trike. Yes. That was well, great. He, uh, Stanley Kubrick, became one of the first directors to make use of a steady cam for stabilized and fluid tracking shots. Interesting. I bet mm. watching that would have been shocking, 
right? Because you're this is the first time probably that you're seeing that. Yeah. And in hindsight now, you're like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I was like, this scene is far too long. It definitely felt like a director's cut. Yeah. If I ever notice anything when I watch a director's cut, it's usually I understand why the edited version was released, honestly. It's just a little too long. This one was a lot long in a lot of portions of it. Moments, yeah, the scenes were just too long. But anyway, that's just going back to say that that camera work was amazing. And let me just take this opportunity to say, as somebody who has watched Dr. Sleep, I don't want to give anything away from Dr. Sleep, but they pull some of this in. Have you seen it, Felicia? I haven't yet with you and McGregor, right? Yeah. I haven't seen it. I haven't yet. It's like they pull some of what really worked in The Shining, but it's a completely different story. It's not, you know what I mean? It's it's definitely a sequel, but you're like, this is what it could look like. I'm sorry. I just... What? I just shit on this movie the whole time. I didn't even... I had like 90% bad things to say and 10% things good to say. But honestly, that's how I feel about this movie. Yeah, I don't... Don't feel sorry. It, I, you know... <laughs> I can... Sorry. So I can... I mean, I, I completely agree. And there's others that will fight us on it. And that's good. That's great you know, conversations and, and maybe we're just not seeing what you're seeing. You're not seeing what we're seeing. That's what makes us so fun. What would you rate this movie? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I want you to go first. (laughs) Ah, Okay. All right. So Tony wants me to go first. Um, I am going to rate this movie. Probably surprisingly, after all the shit I talked, I'm going to rate it a three. And I think I was looking at some of the other things I rated a three, like Cabin in the Woods and Spiral. And in those, right, Cabin in the Woods, those movies, like when I think back of them are kind of there. I think what made me say, oh, yeah, this this feels good to me is because there's both of those movies had a lot of gaps, gaps, meaning not gaps in the story, but things where I was like. Okay, that I had to complain about, I guess. But they also had nuggets of stuff I liked. Yeah. And even though I felt the way I did watching this movie a second time, there is still a nostalgia factor for me because I did watch it before. um, And I think the parts I liked, I still like. I just had forgotten all the parts I didn't. Um, It's Stephen King. So that always helps... Unless it's the dark half. Uh, I will shit <laughs> all over that movie. But, um, and I guess Pet Cemetery too. But, uh, so, I don't know. I think, oh, but being loyal to Stephen King, I am almost like, but then I see The Dark and the Wicked, I gave a 2.9. And I think I enjoyed more parts of this movie than I did The Dark and the Wicked. Um, so, I'm going to give it a three. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to give this movie, I think, a two. Okay. And I wanted you to go first because I thought maybe um, she's going to convince me. But I feel like all of your reasons are very personal reasons, right, for you. It's like when you watch this movie and that. But for me, I just don't have any nostalgic ties. I don't. 
I just don't love this. So I, I think I like it on the same level that I do Cabin in the Woods, which is another controversial movie that I really dislike <laughs> that other people really love. Um, and also uh, I was thinking Pet Cemetery, which I also gave a two, the original. But also mm-hmm. I just want to say that I gave Creepshow a 2.5. So I do think that I liked Creepshow more than I did this because it felt like it had more heart to me personally. So that's where I'm going to land. I'm going to put this at a two. I like it. I know. I feel like that's pretty solid. We both use the same movies and I definitely, I did like this more than Pet Cemetery, unfortunately. And I was really hoping, okay, maybe I had a bad experience the first time. Maybe it was half paying attention. Maybe I, you know, couldn't put shit aside. Maybe the second time would be better. It was not. I mean, it was in some ways. I picked up on some shit I liked, but anyway. that's. Thanks for all the effort you put into trying to like this movie. <laughs> You're welcome. I, I appreciate that you appreciate that. Yeah, you really, 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 really were trying to give it the benefit of the doubt. And I think that that was awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> wow, everybody. I, you know what? I, I always think like, thanks for hanging in there with us. And... This is not a live show. No. <laughs> no one else is up at midnight listening. <laughs> Maybe they are. Maybe they are. But anyways. And I cut this shit together. So. Yes. We, <laughs> we are deliriously tired and happy to have shared this all with you. Thank you for listening. Um, you can find us on Instagram. That's our main hub. If you want to connect with us, Instagram, and also all the other usual suspects like Facebook and TikTok and all of those other things, but Instagram's our main hub. Um, and we have a website and an email address. Oh, everything. I totally could tell, totally forgot. Like, well, shit, what else do I say? Um, (laughs) all of those places at two chicks and a whore flick. (laughs) Two chicks and a horror flick. Uh, if it's Twitter, it's two chicks HF. So make sure you make that adjustment if you are a Twitterer. And uh, Tawny, what else? I was just going to say that we are, our next movie is. Oh, shit. <laughs> I believe Insidious. Oh, yeah. You guys picked it. You Yeah, we did a, we did a poll and y'all picked Insidious over The Wailing. Cargo, The Clove Hitch Killer, which was my pick and my personal choice to win, which didn't win. And was that it? Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was it. I wanted Clove Clove Hitch Killer or The Wailing. I really wanted The Wailing for some reason. I just really wanted to see The Wailing. And now I never will. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So it's over. No, but we appreciate you. You guys, you know, this was good to do because you guys want to hear about Insidious. So we might have published The Wailing without asking, and you would have been like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) I don't want to listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off, Tawny and Felicia. I don't want to hear about this shit. So, yeah. So, Insidious will be the next episode. Yes. And you then can on find top- us on Oh no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead, Tony. Go ahead. <laughs> what else? On top of that, you can uh, support us on Patreon and we oh, also have yeah. a Discord server where you can join us and talk about all things horror and uh, real life horror, like true crime or whatever else you want to talk about. That's where we are. 
We also have a Facebook group, but we're kind of like using the Facebook group as a place to just catch people and send them to the Discord. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of what I have. And please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast that helps us get seen by other people. But I think that's it. If you want to support the show, we have a Patreon too. Yeah. But I think I said that. Them. Did you? Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> It's late. Maybe you said it. All right, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) We're so excited to see you next week. We're pumped to be back. And after our one week break. (laughs) Felt like eternity. I did, really. Anyway, we hope you guys have such a good night. No nightmares. 